BRCA gene mutations, health information, and families. You're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Gary Cohn, and joining me is Dr. Mary Daly, Senior VP for Population Science at the Fox Chase Cancer Center in Philadelphia. Dr. Daly is an oncologist as well as a Ph.D. epidemiologist and is director of the Cancer Prevention and Control Program at Fox Chase in Philadelphia. Today we're going to be talking about BRCA gene mutations, health information, and families. Dr. Daly, thanks for being with us today. We appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me. Let's talk a little bit before we talk about your work, maybe a little bit about your own medical background, how you got into this business, how you got into this particular area of expertise and and interest. Well, it's been a sort of a convoluted pathway that I've taken. As you mentioned, I have a PhD in epidemiology, which I was motivated to, to do after spending three years teaching high school in Africa, where I became very cognizant of the importance of public health. And what epidemiologists are good at is understanding risk factors for disease. So when I eventually went on to become a medical oncologist and specialized in breast cancer, my epidemiology background came in very handy to begin to think about ways not only to treat breast cancer, but also to prevent it. And you can't prevent a cancer unless you know what causes it. And I think my career has benefited a lot from the fact that it the Human Genome Project has come along in a very timely way to provide us with some new information about what causes cancer in the way of genetic pathways. So we were able to actually develop a program for cancer prevention based primarily around information from the Human Genome Project, but also taking into account other risk factors for cancer. Yeah, that came along just at the right time. Let's maybe for our general audience, could you sort of set the stage, the lay of the land for what we know about BRCA1 and 2 and, and women's risk for cancer. What's sort of the state of the art with that now? Well, BRCA1 and 2 were first identified in 1994 and 95, and they were completely new genes. No one had known about them before, but it was clear from the families in which they were detected that they were strongly associated with high risks for breast and ovarian cancer. Now, the range for just how high is the risk varies from study to study, but it's in the general range of, for breast cancer, anywhere from 40 to 85% lifetime risk, and for ovarian cancer, anywhere from, say, 15 to 40% lifetime risk. So even though these are very wide ranges, even at the low end, it's still a very high risk compared to the average population. Could you give us a rough idea what the average risk would be? For breast cancer, a lifetime risk is around the order of 12%, and ovarian cancer, 1.4%. What kinds of things have you learned over the years about sharing this kind of information, this kind of risk information with patients and, and their families? Most of the time when we're talking about BRCA1 and 2, it's usually a woman who comes interested in genetic testing. I didn't mention before, but we've also learned over the last several years that there is an increased risk for male breast cancer as well as melanoma and pancreatic cancer for some of these gene mutations. So there are some implications for men, but the primary reason most people seek testing is for a female breast or ovarian cancer, either personally or in the family. We find that over time, 
the public has become much more informed and sophisticated about their knowledge when they present to hear about genetic testing. They have to be exposed to very complicated genetic terminology, probabilities, rates, and so on in order for them to really understand the nature of the information they're about to receive. The genetic counseling process is fairly intense. Women often bring other family members with them. Often they bring their spouse or partner or adult children, sometimes friends, which is helpful because then you have more than one set of ears. And by and large, most women who have an initial interest in getting tested go through with testing themselves. What happens then, though, is very interesting. This We call the, the first person in the family to get tested the proband. That's a genetic term. This, usually a woman, proband, is then kind of tasked with taking that information back to her family members and sharing it because it has obvious implications for any family member from the same lineage that she's from. So her parents, children, or her siblings, and even cousins sometimes. The medical profession has taken the stand that it isn't the physician's role to go beyond the proband and contact her relatives because it would be a breach of privacy. So we put a lot of responsibility on the shoulders of the first person being tested to actually take this very sophisticated genetic information home to the rest of the family. And we think that there's oftentimes some breakdown at that point, either in other relatives not fully understanding the information, the proband having difficulty explaining it in terms of what it means for other people. And this is an area where I've been focusing my research most recently, how to help the proband and the other family members understand what the initial genetic test means for everybody else. Could you tell us typically, is the genetic counseling performed by physicians? Is it done by nurses, both? Well, there are different models. More and more, we're involving master's level genetic counselors. These are people who you used to only see in the prenatal setting, and that was their traditional training. But in the last 10 years, they've branched out to include adult diseases and cancer as a focus. So ideally, the ideal model would be to have a genetic counselor teamed up with a physician. The genetic counselor can explain the genetic piece of the information. The physician can then handle what clinical management options a person ought to consider. There aren't, however, enough genetic counselors to go around, so we've been developing training programs for nurses, and nurses are very interested in learning more about genetics and assisting and being part of this team. And, in fact, there's even a society among nurses for genetic information, so they've made it kind of an official interest of theirs. So I I think across the country you're going to see some variation of nurse plus doctor or genetic counselor plus doctor or even all three. What we have seen lately, though, is this direct-to-consumer marketing of genetic testing where sole physicians who don't necessarily have this genetic backup of either a counselor or a trained nurse are being approached by their patients to say, hey, I heard on TV that I should have this test. Would you order it for me? I think a lot of physicians are struggling because they don't have the training or the experience to do that whole process themselves. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Gary Cohn, and I'm speaking with Dr. Mary Daly, and we're talking about BRCA gene mutations, health information, and families. Mary, you mentioned that one of the challenges is when the proband goes home and attempts to transmit some possibly complex information to their uh, families. Do men and women 
handle or transmit that kind of information differently? Is that itself a challenge? Yes, it is a challenge. What we found in our research is that the most likely person to receive the information is a female sibling or a female adult offspring. The males are told less frequently of any generation, whether it be parent, sibling, or child. The parents of the proban are also less likely to be informed of the test results. And I think there's a variety of reasons for that. We see this as a women's cancer issue, and we don't pay as much attention to the male cancers because they're not nearly as frequent as they are for the women. And some people also have the misconception that this can only be transmitted through the maternal line or the mother and not the father. I think, in general, men might handle all the health issues somewhat differently than women in in the sense of being more sort of down-to-earth, direct, and not a lot of detail. It's known that men aren't as interested in preventive health measures as women. So I think there are a lot of different gender and generation issues that we have to deal with in getting this information communicated to the right people. Since we have the model where it's not the physician's responsibility to go beyond the proband, can the physician teach or counsel his or her patient in a way that helps them do the teaching better? Yes. First of all, we find it very useful to draw up a comprehensive family tree or pedigree and share that with the person who's going to do the communication and actually point out to them on the pedigree, here are the people who are going to benefit the most from hearing this information. And here's what their risk of having the same mutation is. And we've even developed some materials to help this relative deal with perhaps the emotional reaction that they might get from other family members, sort of help walk them through that process. So I think there are ways to help prepare a relative for that conversation when they go back home and have it. It takes time, though, and that's something physicians don't have a lot of. You mentioned that oftentimes physicians are approached either to have testing or to at least address the issue of risk. I know that many general surgeons will see a woman with a breast mass, will take a a family history, and then they've got some decisions to make clinically. But oftentimes don't spend much in terms of thinking about future risk. Do you believe there's a place, for example, easy computer-based models to estimate that risk? Um, Should such people where the question is raised be advised to seek genetic counseling? What's the sort of first-line doc to do when when the question first arises? Well, I guess I would have to say the ideal would still be to have the physician be sensitive to the family history. And, And I think we need to be training our young physicians to take a good family history and know the implications of it because we all know that patients are most likely to do something if their doctor tells them to do it. But when that's not possible, yes, there are computer-based online tools that have been developed. There's one that the CDC has developed to help an individual generate a family tree and tell them what that means for them. There are ways to find information online about where to go for genetic counseling or testing. It would take a fairly sophisticated person to do that. Another way is is to train the office staff, not necessarily the physician, but the nurses in the office, to perhaps take some of these steps and guide the patients to these other resources. Is it possible to set out a hurdle or a limit at which point someone should be referred? For example, if one of these models says... 20% 20% lifetime risk of breast cancer. Is that something where you should push them further or anything above normal? Or where, How do you think about that? 
It's not easy. It's difficult. There's no easy answer to that. Obviously, if there are multiple cases of breast and ovarian cancer, if you see early onset of particularly breast cancer, if you see a male breast cancer, those things should all raise red flags for this may be someone to consider genetic testing. There's an organization that I participate in called the NCCN, National Comprehensive Cancer Network, that provides guidelines for all sorts of oncology things. And there is a guideline for who to refer for genetic testing for hereditary cancers. My thanks to Dr. Mary Daly for being our guest. We've been talking about BRCA gene mutations and family health information. I'm Dr. Gary Cohn. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. To comment or listen to our full library of podcasts, visit us at reachmd.com. Register with promo code RADIO and receive six months free streaming for your home or office. Thank you for listening.